Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Welcome to the Way City Church and thank you for being here this morning. My name is Marlon Yearwood, I'm the pastor here, and we are getting ready to launch uh, officially next week, Sunday on February 9th, um, and we're actually changing our language So we're no longer calling it a launch service, but we're calling it a launch month. So we're going to be launching for the month of February, February 9th, 16th, and the 23rd. Those will be our launch services. So please come on out um, and and hear and see what God is doing. Amen? All right. Today we're speaking about love for the lost. Love for the lost. That's what we're speaking about today. Today. On April 15th, 1912, anyone know what happened? April 15th, 1912. Did I hear someone over there? Titanic. 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 They were heading from Southampton, England, to New York City. And four days into the voyage, the ship went down. Anyone know who John Harper is? Anyone heard of that name? John Harper? All right, well, he's a man who was on the Titanic, and I want to share with you today, uh, briefly, a bit of his story, as I'll read it to you right now. John Harper's story. When I became pastor of the Moody Church in 1980, I knew one of the church rooms was named Harper Hall in memory of the Scottish evangelist who was on a journey to the Moody Church but drowned when the Titanic sank in April 1912. Only recently, however, did I learn the full story of this remarkable man. Harper's reputation as an evangelist was so well known that he was invited to speak at the Moody Church in 1910. I have in my possession a photocopy of a letter in his own handwriting, which reads, I have been in Chicago for three months. God gave us a very precious and wonderful revival of continuous services each day and sometimes even more often. He went on to say that he now had been invited back to the Moody Church for another three months of meetings. And so it was that John Harper, his sister, and his six-year-old daughter, his wife had died, found themselves on the great ship the Titanic. Survivors later reported that as Titanic began to sink, Harper admonished people to be prepared to die. He made sure his sister and daughter were in a lifeboat, even as he continued to share the gospel with whoever would listen. And when he found himself in the icy water with a life jacket, floating near another man, Harper asked, Are you saved? No, I'm not saved, the desperate man replied. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Harper shouted. One report says Harper, knowing he could not survive long in the icy water, took off his life jacket and threw it to another person with the words, you need this more than I do. Moments later, Harper disappeared beneath the water. Four years later, when there was a reunion of the survivors of the Titanic, 
The man to whom Harper had witnessed told the story of his rescue and gave a testimony of his conversion recorded in a tract. I was John Harper's last convert. Before disappearing beneath the two and a half miles of water, John Harper shared for the last time the message of Christmas, which in a nutshell is that Jesus came to earth to die in our stead that we might be saved. This gospel does not spare us from drowning in an ocean, but it does spare us from a far worse eternal destruction. To complete the story, Harper's six-year-old daughter and her aunt arrived safely in New York, rescued by the Carpathia, and only then learned of Harper's death. And to the credit of the Moody Church, acting pastor Reverend Woolley and a deacon traveled to New York to give them clothes and money so they could return to Scotland. This past April, Rebecca and I were invited to help commemorate the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic with the congregation of, of the congregation at the Harper Memorial Baptist Church in Glasgow. To our delight, we discovered that this church, founded by Harper, is still preaching the same gospel that he preached on the Titanic a hundred years ago. We also learned that his daughter later married a pastor. She died in 1986. But her daughter and grandchildren were with us in the celebrations. A reminder that there is no substitute for the torch of faith being passed from one generation to another through the influence of godly families. This story is a powerful story of faith and someone who loved the lost. Loved the lost to the point that as the Titanic was sinking, the first thing on their mind was, where are these people going? So he began to share the gospel with people that were getting ready to die. Think about being in that situation. And he begins to share the gospel, and then he finds himself in the icy waters, and he's blessed enough to have a life jacket. And then he floats by another man who has no life jacket, and he tells him, are you saved? And he shares the gospel with him, and he gives him his life jacket, and he later dies, and that man says he was his last convert and preached the gospel faithfully. What love for the lost. I used to believe that the number one reason why people don't share their faith was because of fear. And if I asked you the question, why don't people share their faith? Maybe many of you would say the same thing. Number one reason is fear. Fear of rejection, fear of not being able to give a response to a challenging question or a rebuttal. Fear of saying the wrong thing. Fear paralyzes us and paralyzes so many people. And while I believe that all of these are legitimate fears, there's also another possibility that I didn't consider until 2008. When someone asked me the question, what is the greatest fear? What is the greatest reason why people don't share their faith? And I said, fear. And their response to me was, they just don't care. People 
don't share their faith because they just don't care. And when the individual said that to me, it just shifted my mindset. And again, I believe some people don't share because of fear. Absolutely. But I had never thought of that. Some people just don't share because they, they just don't care. They just, genuinely, they just don't have love for lost people. That's why they don't share their faith. Nothing to do with, with fear of speaking to people. But it's just a, a lack of concern. So for, so for many people, unfortunately, uh, and even believers, the gospel is not shared because they just don't care. And I believe that it's easier to coach someone through their fears of evangelism than it is to coach someone into caring. I'd much rather coach you through your fears of sharing your faith than to coach an individual who just doesn't care. I can't make you care. And listen, if you're in this room today and that is you, I pray. I pray that you would go home and weep and Repent and ask the Lord to give you a heart that cares for and that loves lost people. If you're in here and you're honest and you're like, man, I just, yeah, I just don't really, don't really care. Then I pray that you go home and you fall down on your knees and you repent and you say, Lord, give me a heart for the lost. Give me a heart for lost people. Give me compassion for those who are dying. So I praise God for for John Harper's story of faith and his love for the lost, but there is one who is greater than John Harper. There is one who is much greater than him, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is our perfect example of evangelism. I said Jesus is our perfect example of evangelism. Jesus. And to be like Jesus is to be evangelistic. So many times there's this talk about wanting to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. To be more like Jesus is to be evangelistic. That's what it is to be more like Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 tells us, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm afraid that the church has become dull of heart and hard of hearing. And you know what the, the saddest thing is? Just kind of just look around. Look around the room for a moment. Let me make this very personal today. One of the saddest things is that for some of you in this room, you have determined. You've determined that I'm 
Just not going to share my faith with anyone. It's a truth. For, for some of us in this room, we have determined within our hearts, it's just not something that I'm going to do. Ever. Doesn't matter what the scriptures say. Doesn't matter where the Holy Spirit leads or what the Holy Spirit says. Doesn't matter what Jesus has done or what Jesus says. Doesn't matter what God himself says. I have determined in my heart that I will not be moved by your message this morning. I will not be moved by your message. I will not be moved by the Spirit of God. I will not be moved by the finished work of Jesus. I will not be moved by God himself. And I will not be moved by your message this morning because I have determined in my heart that I'm just not doing it. That's, that's the saddest. That's the saddest thing. I do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it because I am grown. The Bible tells us to be like children. To be like children. Because children, they understand authority and they respect authority. And sometimes when we become adults, we forget about authority. And the word of God is our authority. And the word of God is pleading with you this morning. But for some of you, you're just not under the authority. You're like, I, I'm, I'm grown. I'm an adult. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. Be like children. Respect the authority of God's word. And let me, just, uh, just a side note, I'm not telling you to do anything that I myself don't do. Because I feel like there are some people that preach and teach on evangelism that don't even evangelize. I don't know how they do it. I'm not telling you to do anything that I don't constantly do. just want to throw that out there. 2 Timothy 3, during our time of confession and assurance of pardon, which Dave read, it spoke about in the last days we'll be proud and Boasters and lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. And then verse 7 says, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the, the, the revelation and truths of the last days. I want to learn more. Teach me, I want to hear. I want to hear what you got to say. I want to hear, I want to learn, but never being moved by the truth and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Welcome to the American church. You want me to preach the gospel to you each and every single week? You want me to? You want me to preach the gospel to you every week? You who know the gospel. You want me to preach it to you every single week so that you can say, my pastor preaches the gospel. But you yourselves won't preach the gospel to those who do not know it. 
Those who do not know it, those who have not heard it, those who do not understand it. You won't preach the gospel to them, but you want me to tell you who know it each and every single week. So you can say, my pastor, I go to a gospel preaching uh, church. But you don't take that and you don't take the initiative to, to bring that to people in a lost and, and dying world. Verse 8 of chapter 3 in Timothy speaks about just as Jans and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these resist the truth. They resist continually the truth. They, they hear it. They know it. They position themselves like you have this morning. They position themselves to hear it. But then when they hear it, they resist it. I'm speaking about evangelism today. I'm speaking about loving the lost. Amen? Amen. And I, you know, I believe that, yes, there are many that unconsciously in this room today, again, unconsciously, um, they're, they're saying, man, I would, I would never do this. But I also believe that there are a few of you in this room today that will be moved by the word. Amen? That will be stirred by the word. And when you leave this place, you are going to be looking for opportunities for gospel conversations. I believe there are, there are some of you in the room today that will leave this place and all throughout the week be looking for opportunities of gospel conversations. I believe that to be true for some of you in the room today. For some, it's, it's just an, an invitation. For some, it's a, it's a full-blown gospel conversation. But for some, it's just an invitation. There is, there is power in an invitation. Don't despise the power of an invitation to, to invite somebody. The woman at the well, she gave an invitation in John 4 and 29. Come and see a man. And she was, speaking to, uh, she was speaking to all of the little M men. Little M men. The Bible says she was speaking to the men. And she said, come and see a capital M. Come and see a man. Come and see Jesus. Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She gave an invitation. And the Bible says they went out of the city and they came to him. They came to, they came to Jesus. They came out of the city and they went to him because of her invitation. There was power in an invitation. So gospel conversations, yes. But even, even just an invitation. Come see a man. Jesus, come, come see. Come and see. Come to church with me. And the Bible says that those individuals who came, they believed on him. They accepted the invitation, and they were in the presence of Jesus, and then they believed on him because of the word that he spoke to them, but also because of the invitation. 
I dare you this week. I double dare you this week. I triple dare you this week. I dare you this week to pray and to ask the Lord. Say, Lord, show me. Show me someone. I promise you that if you ask him that, that he will show you someone. I have never asked the Lord, Lord, show me an individual this week. I have never in my 14, 15 years of serving him, I have never asked him that question where he did not show me someone. It's never happened. So, so I dare you to do that. But he may send you to someone who you don't necessarily want to speak to. Understand that too. <laughs> so, I, so anyway, I dare you to pray that. Today, I want to show you five things today from the scriptures. I want to show you that God is concerned about the lost. And I'm going to be brief. God is concerned about the lost. I want to show you that Jesus is concerned about the lost. I want to show you that angels are concerned about the lost. I want to show you that Satan is concerned about the lost. And I want to show you that people in hell are concerned about the lost. Amen? God is concerned. Jesus Angels, Satan, and those in hell. All concerned about the lost. So God is concerned about the lost. Again, I'm going to be pretty brief with these. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And the context of this chapter, uh, Jesus is, is ministering to Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee and a teacher of the law. And Nicodemus asks him the question, says, how can one be born again? And Jesus begins to speak to him and says, how, how do you, being a teacher of the law, not understand these things, and so on and so on. And then uh, verse, verse 16, and again, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. For God so loved the world and those in it People in, in the world, the people who he came for, were sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That sounds like love to me. That sounds like concern to me. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. 
God loved the world so much that He gave His everything. He gave His Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God is concerned about the loss. Romans 5.8 tells us, God demonstrated His love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God demonstrated His love for us in this. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love demonstrated. Love in action. I've spoken about love many times and I will to you guys one day as well, God willing. But one thing that you have to understand about love is we have made love a word. And love is not a word, love is action. We have reduced love to a word that we say. But love, my friends, is action. For God so loved the world that He gave. God demonstrated His love. Love is action. So God is concerned about the loss. Number two, Jesus is concerned about the loss. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. We read it before. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. To seek and to save lost people. Selah. That's why he came. To seek and to save the lost. He came here for that reason. He came here for that purpose. So Jesus is concerned about the lost. In Luke 19, Jesus is speaking to Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector. And in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mark 16 and verse 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because he's concerned about the lost. He wants to make sure that the, that the great commission, that this continues. John 3 and verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He willingly positioned himself on a cross. Willingly. That all who see him, that all who look to him, would be saved. He came to seek and to save. And he positioned himself on a cross. Not for himself, but for lost people. He intentionally and strategically placed himself on a cross to demonstrate 
how much he loves lost people. None of us will ever be be forced to, or none of us would ever have to declare our love for the lost in, in such a way. We declare our love for the lost with our words via an invitation through the life that we live. That's how we extend the gospel to people. Jesus did it with his life. He did it with his blood. That's not required of you. What's required of you is that you would just open your mouth and wiggle your tongue around. That's it. Move your tongue. Open your mouth and speak. That's what's required of you and required of me. We will never have to shed blood for the lost like Christ did. Angels are concerned about the lost. In Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10, we see the parable of the lost coin. And then the end of um, the parable of the lost coin, verse 10, says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God is concerned about the lost. Jesus is concerned about the lost. Angels are concerned about the lost. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In heaven, they they rejoice. They rejoice. When, when, When one of you shares your faith and someone for the first time by the Spirit of God they are enlightened and their eyes are opened and they say I confess Jesus as my Lord the angels in heaven they rejoice (laughs) yes yes amen they rejoice the angels in heaven why? man they're 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 concerned about the lost. The angels are concerned about the lost. They love lost people. They love lost people. Hey, listen. I want us as a church, when we hear that someone repents and is trusted in Christ, when we hear that someone is ready to be baptized, I want us to rejoice can we do that? Yeah. Amen. Right? When someone comes, no, amen, amen, amen. I, I want a, a rejoicing. Because if we're concerned about the lost, there, is, there should be joy in our hearts when someone turns from their sin and turns to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I, I pray that as a church we would um, have this kind of joy that the angels have. Hebrews 1, but to which of the angels has he ever said, in verse 13, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, and then verse 14, are they not all, 
speaking of the angels of God, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? The angels of God, in verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? They are ministering spirits and they play a a role in the work of salvation. They play a role. They're, They're binding up evil spirits that try to blind people's eyes. The angels are working to remove distractions. They're constantly working and they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. The angels of God, can you see it? They are concerned about the loss. God is concerned. Jesus is concerned. Angels are concerned. Satan is concerned. John 10.10 tells us, For the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have a life and have a life more abundantly. Satan's role, his task, is to kill, steal, and to destroy. He does not want lost people to be saved. He wants lost people to be with him where he is and where he's going. And he works hard. And he works tirelessly to kill, steal, and to destroy. Let me say this. Every, every individual, every baby, every child, every human, we're made in God's likeness and we're made in His image. And when Satan sees people made in the likeness and the image of God, he's reminded of God. When he sees you and when he sees people, he's reminded of of God. He's reminded of his power. He's reminded of his love for these people. And he knows that God loves them and that Christ died for them. And his role is to go after them. That's his role. The Bible says that he goes after the seed of the woman. He he, 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 he seeks for, he's constantly looking for the seed of the woman. Which in, a, in, the, in the greater sense was Christ in one way, but also the, the seed of human beings. And he chased her, the Bible says, into the wilderness. He comes to, to kill, steal, and destroy. First Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's his role. 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's seeking about, he's seeking for who he can kill and devour. That's his, that's his role. That's his work. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He works, again, to blind the minds and to blind the eyes of the people. That's his role. That's his task because he's concerned about the lost. Not for their salvation, but he wants them again to be with him, for them to be destroyed. That's his role. That's his purpose. In Luke chapter 8, we find the the parable of the sower. A man goes out and scatters seed. Four different kinds of, of, well, one seed, but it falls on four different types of ground. And then in verse 11, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples when they ask him the question. And in verse 11, Jesus says this, Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God, Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The seed that fell by the wayside, these are those who hear the word of God, and then Satan comes and snatches the seed from their hearts, lest, just in case, they'll believe it, And be saved. He's working. Even right now as I'm speaking to you. And I'm ministering to you. He's working. Some of you. Maybe your mind is wandering. When you. When you leave here. When you leave here. He's going to give you every single excuse as to why you cannot and why you should not share your faith with lost people. He's working. He does the same with me, and he'll do the same with you. He doesn't want us to open our mouths. He's concerned about the lost. He goes after them as well. And finally, in hell, they are concerned about the lost. In hell, they are concerned about the lost. Luke chapter 16. It's the story of the rich man Lazarus. A very powerful story. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple 
and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us, And you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can can those from there pass to us. Verse 27. Then he said, Then he said, I beg you. Then he said, I, I beg you. He said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house because I have five brothers. I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I know it. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. In hell, they're concerned about the loss. Lazarus, first of all, he says, man, can you, just, uh, can you just dip your finger in water and just come over here and cool the tip of my tongue? That's how terrible hell is. He said, man, just, just literally man, just dip your finger into water and just put it on the tip of my tongue, please. And then he goes on. And he says, listen, I'm tormented. I'm longing for water. I know it will never come. But listen, I've got five brothers up there. I've got five brothers who are lost, just like me. And if no one tells them this message, they're going to come down here, just like me. So now I beg you and I plead with you, please, could you just send you just send Lazarus to go talk to them? Like, just, just share about this place? Could you please just do it? 
in hell, tormented. We have people that are concerned about lost people. So we have God is concerned about the lost. Jesus is concerned about the lost. Angels are concerned about the lost. Satan is concerned about the lost. People in hell are concerned about the lost. Are you concerned about the lost? Are you? Are you moved? Because that's why we're here. That's why we're starting a church in Woodbridge, in Potomac Town Center, because of lost people. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. I'm way too young to be doing this if this thing wasn't real. This is real. People are really dying, really going to hell. It's real. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. To reach the lost and to disciple the believer. That is our very mission. And I pray that you would get on board with me and not just speak about being on mission. Everyone loves conversations about being on mission. Let's, let's talk less about it and do it. That is my prayer for us today and my prayer for us always. Next week, we're getting ready to officially launch the Way City Church for the next three weeks. We're launching the month of February. And I want you to be on mission. Next week is going to be an evangelistic message. Next week we're speaking about Barabbas. And that's what I'm going to say. But it's going to be evangelistic. And I want you to, to bring lost people to this place. Invite believers too. Because we need people to join us on mission, absolutely. But, but seek to bring and seek to invite lost people to this place. I want you to share the gospel, absolutely. But I also want you to extend an invitation. There's power in an invitation. Let them come and see. Let them come and hear of a great Savior who can save. So we are, we are on mission together. And again, we exist for this very reason. To reach the lost and to disciple the believer. That is our mission at the Way City Church. Very simple. How many of you can be on mission with me to reach this city? Let me see your hands. Amen. Amen. Be on mission. Bow your heads. They say that the smallest ministry in the church is usually the the prayer ministry. But I would say at least many churches have one. I would also argue that the smallest ministry or non-existent ministry of the church is one of evangelism. 
That's why we are starting one here at the Wayseed Church. Evangelism is important. I remember when I was in a Bible college in Oklahoma, and I remember it was a small school, and there were maybe 1,200 students. 1,200 students training for ministry. Training for ministry. And we used to have a street evangelism team that went out every Saturday. We would meet at 7 o'clock. We'd pray for about an hour. Then we'd do some training. And then we'd go out on the streets around 9.30. We'd evangelize for two and a half, three hours. And then we'd come back to the church. And then we'd give testimonies and pray for those who we had spoken to. And I remember for, for the years that I was in school, so I did this week after week, and, and I remember that in a school of about 1,200 people training for ministry, I remember the evangelism team, and maybe a couple dozen. And it moved me. It moved me. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you that you orchestrated a great plan for salvation. Thank you that before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was crucified. You already predestined you already preordained before even the foundation of the world that Christ would be crucified for us for lost people thank you God for sending your son thank you that as the word says in Timothy now great is the mystery of godliness God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit seen by the angels preached among the Gentiles received up in glory thank you Father that you were manifested that you yourself came to earth in the flesh you came for us you died for us thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in this that while we were yet sinners you died for us you didn't wait for us to try to become holy or try to be righteous but you made us righteous and listen if you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus I extend to you an invitation I extend to you an opportunity today for you to know him as I found myself on the streets Evangelizing, I often ask people the question because so many times people believed that they needed to do certain things before they would be qualified to come to Christ. And I'd often tell them, have you ever gone fishing? And I'd ask the question, can you clean up a fish before you catch it? Can you clean up a fish before you catch it? And the answer to that is no. 
You first have to catch the fish and then you begin to clean it up. So maybe you're in here today and you felt like you've had to get to a certain place before you can come to Jesus. But I want you to know that he receives you and accepts you as you are and that he himself does the work of salvation in you and he's the one who makes you righteous, not you yourself. So if you're in here today and you do not know him, then right where you are, right where you are seated, I want you to call upon him and say, Jesus, save me. The Bible says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're seated in this place today and you've heard the message, I'm telling you, an invitation has been extended to you. Don't reject that. And if you say, I want to know this Jesus, then even right where you are, you can slip up your hand. If you say, I want to know Jesus, I want to know him. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. Anyone else says, I want to know him. Amen. You can put your hand up. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand up and we're going to pray together. And as we pray the prayer of faith, as you raised your hand and as you responded, God today in this place is going to save you. Let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus. Let's pray in faith. Together, I say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner and that my sins separate me from you. But Lord Jesus, I also recognize that you came and that you died for me. Say, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me from all of my sins. I no longer want to be Lord, Lord of my own life, but I want you to be Lord of my life. I receive today the free gift of salvation and eternal life by faith in the Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we rejoice? Can we rejoice? Praise God. And I'm, I'm going to have a couple people in the, in the front. Um, and, and you who raise your hand, I want you to come to the front at the end of, end of service. And they're going to uh, speak, speak more um, about this, this salvation and this gospel message. But I can assure you today... The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's as far as your sins are from him. Amen? Amen? Can we rejoice again? Can we, like the angels? Praise God. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.